Hello, friends. I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Bangor Happy Hour. On today's show, we are going to discuss some of the things that we are reading. We're going to finally tackle the Captain America and ongoing Marvel drama. Then we're going to discuss Monstrous, a comic by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takata. We're going to talk about the books that we're looking forward to this summer. And to close out, we're going to discuss the excellent sci-fi disaster movie, The Core. So without further ado, let's get into the discussion. We do a lot of reading outside the podcast, and although we've been sort of busy and not reading as much the last few weeks, we thought that we would create a new segment called What We're Reading to talk about the things that we don't get to do a whole segment about. Anna, what have you just finished reading? What are you reading now? And what will you be reading in your immediate future? I finished reading a short story by Sophie McDougall, and it's called Not the End of the World. And it was an um, anthology published by Jurassic London about different types of apocalypses. It's really good. I really like Sophia's um, writing. She wrote Space Hostages, which is a middle grade. I think you loved it, didn't no, you? No, she wrote Mars Evacuees, and that was great. Yeah. And Space oh, Hostages no. is the sequel, sequel that yeah. I don't have. Thanks okay. for the reminder. I'll bring that for you to Kansas City. How are you going to pack if all you're doing is bringing me books? I don't know. Which, one, which is the other book that I said I would bring for you? The Malice by Peter Newman. Yes, The Malice and Space Hostages. The other one that I'm reading right now is Night Fox Gambit by Yoon Ha Lee. And I'm going to be reading next Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince for the Harry Potter reread that we are doing in the books published. What about you? So I just finished the first volume of High School Debut by an author whose name I'm not going to pronounce because I will mangle it. I'm very sorry. I don't want to mispronounce your name, author. It's a super cute manga about a girl who is trying to find a boyfriend, and she gets this really attractive guy to be her coach. And But the only thing is that he wants her to agree to not fall for him, which he agrees to. It's pretty cute. The first volume was a little like, oh, surprise assault! And it's kind of body-shamey because the girl is muscular because she played softball so i'm not sure how i feel about it yet it's cute so far so i'm gonna keep reading i am currently reading zero boxer by fonda lee which is about a zero gravity boxing it's like mma in space how do you like it so far i'm not sure because i don't really care for mma fighting but i mean i like the characters so far there is a really strange romance at the beginning i'm just like oh okay that seems super accurate but really unprofessional but okay it's a white it's a white novel. It'll be it'll be fine. And next I'm going to be reading a nonfiction book called Out of the House of Bondage. It is a book about plantation slavery specifically and how the narrative of slavery in America gets watered down 
you get narratives of the mistress of the house being like a friend to the slaves white women as you know benevolent dictators when it's pretty much the exact opposite well yes they have they own people yeah and just like, well they didn't own people their their husbands own people but they were still like complicit in the system when i heard about this book i was like oh i have to read this because I got I got it all like secondhand through like other primary and secondary sources when I was in college, but I never actually read research dedicated to that topic. So that's what I'm going to be reading next. It's really good. If you like it, let me know because that's a topic that I that I would really like to know more. I'm excited to read it. So that's what I've been reading and what I'm going to be reading. I have too many books. I just bought like so many books yesterday in the hopes that I will get back on track and read more. So. How many books have you read this year so far? I don't know yet. Uh, we need to do our half year mark post. And usually by this time of the year, I would have read at least 60 books. I don't think I have read 40. That means I'm ahead of you because I've read 42. Yeah, I would not be surprised. I that, would not be surprised. Oh my God, the world is ending. I read like two books in April. Before that, I couldn't concentrate. I didn't read a lot. I think I've been reading like a book a week. Are you counting graphic novels though and comics? Well, sorry. I only count the ones that I review. What? Yeah, because usually I do my counts for the book smugglers. So it needs to be the ones that I reviewed there. But I rarely read books that are not for review. Now with the podcast, I read a little bit more, but I also don't count them. Is that wrong? Yes. Should yeah, I should yes. I reevaluate should I reevaluate my entire life? Oh my god, yes. Okay, we've gotta move on. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> we've gotta move on. Oh, oh. It's been a few weeks since Captain America Steve Rogers number one debuted. If you missed the drama that accompanied that release, then there were a zillion think pieces about it. Just a warning, I'm going to talk about it a little bit and I'm going to spoil Captain America Steve Rogers number one and then I'm also going to spoil Civil War 2 number one, which is Marvel's ongoing summer event. If you don't want to be spoiled for these issues, then you need to skip ahead. You can find timestamps in our show notes. There's a lot of backstory to what's going on with Steve, given Secret Wars and his characterization and his storyline. This new comic was launched in May. I had it on my pull list. I was really excited about it. The day it came out, I woke up to the internet imploding over the fact that at the end of Issue number one, they have him kill a teammate and then say Hail Hydra, which, as we all know, is just a cute little nod that Marvel does to Heil Hitler. And maybe this would have been okay if they had just left it like that because it could have been anything. It could have been brainwashing or an impostor. It could have been anything. But instead, they went on this PR tour around the internet to be like, no, it's really Steve Rogers. No, it's not an imposter. It's really him. He's not brainwashed. This is really happening. 
He's been a Hydra agent this entire time. Smarter people than me have written commentary about why the decision is super gross, both from a characterization perspective as well as like a historical perspective. My feelings about it really come from how disrespectful these creators were being towards Jewish fans, because a lot of the Jewish fans that I know were like really upset. Some of them weren't. Some of them were like, well, I would have been willing to see where had, where they were going, but then they did this PR thing, and it was gross. The PR issue is what got me. So do you feel like they were being gleeful about how clever they are being for being so edgy and so dark and so grim by taking the character in that direction. Yes, that's exactly. Like they went around to all these places and were just like, look how smart and clever we are. Look how we're challenging the history of this character to tell the story. Ginny from reading the end had really good commentary about how of course these white men think this is edgy they have never really had to face the fact that somebody who was nice turns out to be evil when you know everybody else who's not a cisgender straight white man has lived with that their entire life i just found how they handled it super disrespectful i immediately went to my comic shop and refused to buy the issue I took it off my pull list. Next week, this comic comes out again, issue number two. I really think that if people have this on their pull list, they need to take it off. Because right now, all Marvel understands is money. They're not here for the nuanced discussions of why this is a shitty decision, why it is hurtful, why it is disrespectful. All they wanted was to take over the discussion space and give DC a kick in the pants because they were relaunching something too. They used our pain and our hurt to turn a profit. I really think that if our listeners have this on their pull list or if they're buying this issue, I'd really like them to think about what it means to support this choice financially. I know I'm immediately going to get a bunch of emails going, it's just comics, they'll retcon it. I just really want people to miss me with that kind of commentary. It doesn't matter if it's going to be fixed later. What matters is that they did it, period. They just thought it was a great idea and just went ahead and did it because they have no sense of culture or history and they used us to make money. They used our pain to make money. That is just an unforgivable thing and that I don't think we should financially support. And to make matters worse, Civil War II, this new summer event, came out. I read issue number zero and I wasn't sold. Then news about spoilers for issue number one came out. The main characters in this conflict, Civil War II, is Tony Stark, Iron Man, and Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. What happened was they brought Rhodey, James Rhodes, War Machine, Iron Patriot forward into the narrative, and they killed him to give two white characters feelings. Well, so basically what we are saying right now is that we don't like Marvel very much right now in the moment. I'm really... I'm really angry at this guy, this editor, Tom Brevoort. He went and gave an interview where he talked about the writer's retreat that Marvel does. And here's where I just lost it. Because apparently, Tadahisi Coates, who is writing Black Panther right now, was at this retreat. And he wrote a long letter about this decision to Brevoort and another editor. These people, these white men got together and talked about the ramifications of this decision. And they chose to do it anyway. I don't understand how you can have Coates, 
who is one of the most important black writers writing about black culture in the world. And you can see his thoughts and then you can just basically disregard them. And who knows? I'm just assuming that he said this is not a good idea. I don't know what was in the letter. I just know that Brevort talked about it. Of all the times in the world to create a storyline where a black character dies to further the pain and stories of white characters, you're going to do it now? Hmm. I don't understand why these men are so ignorant and don't want to learn how to be better and how to be better storytellers. Because right now, looking at Captain America, Steve Rogers, and Civil War II, these men are shitty writers. And they keep falling back on bigoted choices because they can't and won't learn new ways to tell stories. And I mean, I can't affect anybody's pull list, but I just really want people to think hard about what they're giving their money to. I don't think that we should be supporting corporate choices, because that's what this is, in storytelling that continue hurting marginalized voices or straight up killing us. And that's all I had to say. Yesterday, I was at Waterstones, and that was a display of books that had a quote from Oscar Wilde that said, there are no moral or amoral books. There are good writing and bad writing. And I so completely disagree with that. And I think this is a perfect example of this. Monstrous is a new comic by Marjorie Liu and Senna Takeda. The issues are out right now. The trade comes out on July 19, 2016. Monstrous was a comic that Anna was super excited about. And Anna, now that you have read it, what do you think about it? I adore it. I read the first issue as soon as it came out, as you know, and I loved it. And then I got sidetracked by life. And once we decided to read for the podcast, it was time for me to catch up with the next five issues after that. The first six issues, the ones that are out right now, they are beautiful. I don't know how you feel about them, but they are absolutely gorgeous pieces of art. Uh, Sona Takada's art is just the most beautiful thing. I could easily print them and make them as posters for my walls maybe not the ones with people eating each other and all the blood maybe i could skip some of those but it's beautiful it's visually gorgeous the story itself i have had some misgivings about it only because it's a little bit confusing because it just throws you in the middle of the narrative and at the end of each issue you have a cat teaching its students the history of that world and this is how we get a little bit more of insight into what's happening so i find that uh, a little bit too info dumpy for me but very helpful now that i read the first six issues and i have a better grasp of what it's going on i really really love it how do you feel about it i gobbled this up in about 35 minutes <laughs> This is one of the most beautiful comics I have ever seen. It really sort of reminds me, like the distinct art, the way that it has its own personality, reminds me a lot of Pretty Deadly, 
I mean, the art styles are completely dissimilar. They're not the same. Just the personality that the art has. And she does a lot of interesting world building through the art, too. I spent a lot of time after I finished just going back through the issues and looking at some of the choices that they made art-wise to do the world building. The way that they draw the gods and how they make them so massive with all these eyes. Because mm-hmm. you could have done the same thing without all the creepy staring eyes. The way they use the eyes is really, really kind of gutting in a way. You just feel like the comic is watching you. Of course, I was super charmed by the cats. I think I'm the opposite of you. I really liked the ends where the cat was explaining to the kits, he calls them, the little kittens, about yeah. the world. Because the, I thought the art that went with them was a nice extra piece of world building. Like the first one I remember, he, you see this cat with like four tails. I was like, oh, that's really nice. And I like how they give little hints and clues to the world through the art in those sections. But I don't think I struggled as much with the story. I didn't have any trouble seeing where it was going as soon as things started to fall into place. Why do you think that you, like, why did you have concerns? Was it that you weren't getting it? Or was it part of the storyline that made you uncomfortable? No, it didn't make me uncomfortable. Just I was just trying to understand what exactly was going on. Because there were so many mysteries and there were so many characters and there were so many pieces there at first they seem disjointed but then of course they all come together in the end you know it's a different world and you have humans but you also have witches and you have the inquisition or the equivalent to an inquisition in that world and then you have micah who is something completely different as we come to learn and then you have the um, arcanics yes which we then only learn what they are through these little snippets at the end. We don't really know what they are within the story. I wanted to have learned that through the storytelling. Although one could argue that that is also part of the storytelling because, of course, then you have the cats teaching other cats and why is this even happening? I love the cats. I was actually super charmed. At the end of one of the issues, Micah is running away and... She drops something and the cat is like, well, we're all fucked. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to love these cats. And that's when I was mm-hmm. I was in. That's probably why that I like the info dumpy bits. Because we don't get a lot of the cats in the narrative itself. We have one cat character, but we don't get the, the scope of them as like a society, except in those info dumpy bits. Yeah. It's not that I dislike the cats. I just... Dislike is maybe too strong a word. But I could have done with a different way of putting these things forward. With that said, I find the story the story really interesting because, you know, it's about war. It's about a world after a war. And then you have the human world and you have the arcanic world. And they are separate. But humans are as terrible as they are. They use the arcanic bones or ilium it has slavery and it's and it's awful and then you have the narrative that the arcanics are animals or are you know not to be trusted and it's and and the imagery that comes with it it's very strong too the arcanics are suffering from slavery and just overt racism marjorie lou and santa takata do not 
they do not water it down. It's pretty explicit and horrifying, and it opens explicit and horrifying. The villains of the piece are witch nuns that buy arcanics on the slave market and bring them... Well, I don't even actually think they buy them. I just think they get them... They just take them. They just take so them. they're so powerful. They don't even have to buy them anymore. They take them and they experiment on them. And the lilium that leaks from their bones gives them magical power. Some of this stuff was really hard to read because of that. It kind of makes you stick to your stomach because you're like, they obviously <laughs> did their research into mm. these issues because, oh my goodness. I found it a really emotionally effective way to tell the story by focusing on Micah's issues and past with slavery because she was a slave. There is a story that I don't want to spoil about how she comes back into the fold to be in the position she is at the beginning of the first issue. I just found it so well done how they tied her past and her present together and the way they did the flashbacks. And then we have this character that she's friends with, Tuya. Yeah, and it's like the, the entire series is her kind of like having a, converta- a conversation with Tuya, right? Mm-hmm. Those small snippets are really interesting too and beautiful. And then you have a twist in the end. I did not talk about <laughs> me not seeing that coming. I did not see that coming. Nope. Let's not spoil it for people, but it's really good. And it's really good too because, you know, the series is called Monstrous. There's a conversation about... Who is the monstrous? Why are we calling that person monstrous? Is she really a monstrous or not? Who is the real monster? We don't know. There are a lot of different types of monsters in this Mm -hmm. comic. It does a really good job of making you really debate about who truly is a monster and who is trapped in a narrative that's been written for them that they had no control over so they've just been cast at this role and i've never read marjorie lee's work before Mm -hmm. but i'm so impressed with the way that she handled some of these conversations especially between micah and kippa the little fox girl Mm -hmm. that travels with micah they have some really short but like really incisive conversations i don't know marjorie lou you're amazing oh my god okay so i'm just gonna take a break right here from monsters i'm gonna say that she has a uber fantasy series called it's the dirk and steel agency of detectives and they are all paranormal people right so you have a person who's a tiger and you have a person who's a gargoyle oh my god the gargoyle one is amazing and you know it's all this uber fantasy slash paranormal romance because each of those books they have a mystery and they have a main pairing of characters and the romance she does romance so well so well and the mysteries are really good too so i highly recommend those and close parenthesis. So that's how I knew about her because I've been reading her for a long, long time, bef- even before I started the book smugglers. No, I only knew about her through a comic that she did for Marvel, a Black Widow comic. Right, okay. That I've been wrecked several times by multiple people who say it's amazing. So the other thing about Monstrous, did you notice the dearth of male characters? Yes, almost everybody in this comic is a woman. Yes, and have you noticed how that it goes completely unremarked? There is no, like, big tragedy that happens that killed all the men. Like, no one talks about it. There is not a comment. 
I interviewed Mar Marjorie Liu for the blog and we talked about that. Can I read a little bit of what she says about this specific part of the comic? Yeah, go ahead. Have you ever read a book or seen a movie or television show where there are a ton of guys and just a handful of women in the cast of characters? That's not my book. I very much wanted to reverse those numbers and tell a story where the baseline is a ton of women and a handful of dudes. There is no disease that wiped out men in the same way that there is no disease that wiped out women in all of these other forms of entertainment where women doesn't, don't seem to exist. Women, women of color just happen to be the mainstreaming monstrous. The fact that there, this isn't something we take for granted says a lot about the state of female representation in popular entertainment. I really love her. And I think this is a really interesting thing to do. I'm really curious about where the comic is going to go because they really end it on a surprising cliffhanger. Of course, now I'm going to torture myself because I get it issue by issue. So I'm Ugh. sure I'm going to read issue seven when it comes out and it's going to end on another cliffhanger and it won't be resolved and I'll have to suffer. Did you know that she's the only woman of color, woman of color writing at Marvel at the moment? Is she writing at Marvel or Image? Uh, at Marvel as well. I think she writes X-Men. Well, yeah. no, I'm not actually surprised about that. Marvel, a few weeks ago, Brian Michael Bendis had three comics come out, and that was there was more by one white man than there were women. Jeez. I do agree with Marjorie Liu that the state of representation of women, especially women of color, in genre is just embarrassing. Pitiful. Pitiful. And I know a lot of people have discussions about how, oh, I, I can't write that character because I don't know that culture. I don't know anything about them. And I kind of want to be like, well, you know, you don't have to write about their culture. You can leave that to the own voices, people. Don't You don't have to write something that deals with their culture. Just make them characters. Just make them a character in your story and write them like you would anybody else. You don't have to make it explicit. You don't have to deal with issues underneath their... You don't have to deal, deal with identity politics. You can just make them a character. And you can even make it like a queer woman of color. It's not too much diversity. In this comic, specifically... She has all these women of color. She deals with their past. It's just that there's a majority of women of color and they just get to be characters doing their own thing. So Killing yeah, I, people mostly. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really brutal comic. Very. Uh, I give it four space bees. I give it four space bees too. Four and a half because of that part in which Micah eats her own arm because she was hungry. And on that note, we're going to move on. June, so we are in the swing of summer book season, and there are a lot of books coming out in the next few months that we are super excited about. We both made a list of the books that we're looking forward to, and we're going to talk about them. So, Anna, what's your first book? My first book is an obvious choice. I'm sure you are looking forward to that one as well. It's The Obelisk Gate by N.K. Jemsen. It comes out in August 16th, and I just really need that book right now because I want to know what the fuck is up with those obelisks. And I want to know what happened now that the world has been destroyed again. Don't you have a, an arc? I do have an arc. You could read it right now. I can't. <laughs> didn't, didn't I just say to you that it comes out in August 16? I need to wait until then to read. Why do you have to wait? Because that's how things work inside my brain. Oh, boy. 
That would also be on my list if it wasn't on your list. You're right. Haha. <laughs> Sorry. Which is your first choice? My first is called Heroin Complex by Sarah Kuhn. And it is about a girl who is a personal assistant to a superhero. And it sounds super cute. The cover art is amazing. Because, I mean, I'm a sucker for cute cover art. If it's got cute cover art or pretty cover art, uh, I'm in. It comes out on July 5th, 2016 from Doll. I've known um, this author for a long, long time because she used to run one of my favorite blogs called Alert Nerd. It was really cool. They used to do this, um, who is our Scott and Jane? So Scott and Jean are X-Men and they were a couple and it's a shameful secret to actually ship them in some corners of the world. So every year we would do this, who are Scott and Jean? It's like, what is your secret shame in fandom? So uh, several blogs used to do that. And that happened in the first two years of the book smugglers. The first thing that I read by her, because she, she used to have like a really small press too, the Alert Nerd Press. She wrote, uh, it's a geek romantic comedy novella called One Con Glory. It's adorable. And it's about a girl going to a con and falling in love with a guy there. So I highly recommend this one before you get to Heroin Complex, if you can't wait or whatever. It's fantastic. So what's your second book? The Savage Song by V. Schwab. And it's a new novel. I think it's a YA novel by this author who has uh, written A Darker Shade of Magic and A Gathering of Shadows, which I adored. Uh, I'm actually a huge fan of V. Schwab's ever since she wrote her first YA novel that was called The Near Witch. No one talks about this novel. And I was one of the few people that actually bought, read, and reviewed it. And it's just, it was just so good, guys. It was her first, it was the hope, the debut, and I said, this woman will go places. And look at her now. This whole segment is going to be you saying a book that you like, and then wrecking like four other books after it. <laughs> My plan is working. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with it, but our readers are going to be like, God damn it, Anna, my to be red list can't handle this. <laughs> but this savage song, uh, she wrote an elevator pitch for it on Twitter the other day, and I think it sounds amazing. It is a girl burns down a chapel, and a boy uses a violin to steal souls in a city filled with monsters. Don't you want to read that? I mean, I kind of want to read it, yeah. But then I yeah. kind of want to read all her books, and I've only read one. What's next? My second book is Once Broken Faith by Shannon McGuire, which comes out on September 6, 2016 from Daw. It's my second Daw book. Hey, Daw, you're putting out some great stuff. I'm really excited about this book. I love the October Day series so much. I really wish you would read it. I know. I need to catch up, right? Oh, my God. Another, another one, another series I need to catch up with. There's no time. You can make time. How? But these books read so fast. Like That's well, true. That's true. It's not Nine Fox Gambit. Poor Netflix <laughs> I'm struggling, guys. She She's definitely on the struggle bus over here with Netflix Gambit. Yes, I'm really excited that there's going to be a new October Day book. You might not hear from me that week. It comes out. What's your next book? My next book is Ghost Talkers by Mary Robnett Cole. And it's out on uh, August 16. And it's a novel coming from Tor. And it's about uh, an American who lives in London during World War One, And is she is a medium for the spirit call, a special spiritualist force. That's my sister's religion. So I'm really interested and curious to see how that plays out. Will I be angry? 
I don't know. Who knows? What about you? Next. So my third book is Saga Volume 6 by Brian Vaughn and Fiona Staples. It collects issues 31 through 36 of the award-winning comic saga, and it comes out on June 29th, which is very soon. I read this in trade only. I don't think I can handle the issues, but they ended the last trade on this cliffhanger that was unbelievable, and I really want to know how they're going to resolve it. So I'm really excited for Volume 6. My next one is a novel by Nisi Shaw. It's called Everfair. And it's an alternate history of historical fantasy steampunk novel set in Belgium, Congo. From what I understand, this is her first novel because she is a short story writer. I'm going to take a look at that. Yeah, I've heard about that. Great. But when I first saw it, I just saw the cover, which is gorgeous. And there was no blur for it yet. Now I'm, I'm pretty interested in that book. I'm a little bit iffy about steampunk because, you know, historically speaking, steampunk is about more about the punk and less about the steam. And most novels right now, they are more like about the visual aspects of steampunk, whereas I'm interested in the radicalism and, and the revolutionary aspects of it. But maybe this is what this one is about. Maybe this one will kind of like use steampunk to its glory. You? My fourth book is called The Last One by Alexandra Olivia. I saw this recommended because there was a blurb that said it was for readers of Station Eleven and The Passage. I love Station Eleven. I've never read The Passage, but I assume it's about like some kind of vampire thing, right? Yes. So they're playing a game and people are sent into the woods to test their endurance and then there's a disaster and things go awry. And it just sounds really good. It comes out from... Ballantine Books on July 12th, 2016. So what's your next one? So my last pick is The One Book to Rule Them All. Oh boy. It's a new novel by Connie Willis. It's cross-talk. And guys, it's not one of those that will make you lie in bed in future position because you are crying your eyes out like Doomsday Book. No, it's a romantic comedy, this one. And it's out in September 20th. And I don't have an ARC of this. If anyone can get me an ARC of this, I will love you forever. Please. Who's the publisher? Leave it, leave it to me. I, I don't know. Crosstalk is being published on September 20th, 2016 by Delray. Delray. Okay, so it's Delray. Uh, somebody from Delray, you need to you need to get you need to ping us because Anna needs a copy of this book. I need it. I need it. I would even read it before September twentieth. Oh my goodness! I would hope so if they you got an ARC. <laughs> like her last book was such a long. I think it was two thousand and nine that she published Blackout and All Clear, which I loved. By the way, I know a lot of people didn't because it got so many things about British and England wrong. But I don't really care. I've never read her. <laughs> I am quietly weeping in my corner. Okay, so aren't you doing a thing this year about reading books by women that you had never read before? Yes. How do you not have a book by Connie Willis in there? My library doesn't have very many. Do they have any? 
They might. I just haven't looked at them. So in a while. you you don't know. All the books that get recommended to me are the time travel ones. Okay, what if I recommend you that doesn't have time travel and it's a romantic comedy? Are you about to rec- recommend me Crosstalk? You haven't read it yet. No, Bellwether. I know my library doesn't have that. It has no time travel and that's, it's adorable. That's the problem because my library has the time travel one. But it's not like it's so good with the time travel. You should broaden your horizons and try and <laughs> to say nothing of the dog. It's such an adorable book. It's hilarious. And you can't even like it's not you can't even feel the time travel or swear. It's like it's almost like it's not even there. I feel like this is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm being wildly misled. No, no. I okay, fine. I'm going to read <laughs> to say nothing of the dog. You win. I'll read it. Well, I'm reading the entire Maggie Fatter series because of you. That's true. So I guess I so, owe you one book. Yes, exactly. I'm I'm fine with that exchange. Read to say nothing of the dog. In the same episode, I will we will be talking about the Raven Boys. Okay, that's fair. It's a deal. What's your last book? It's Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat Volume 1 by Kate Leth and Brittany Williams. In Jessica Jones, you have a character, Trish, who I guess in the comics was a Hellcat. She was a superhero by herself, which I thought was really neat. The art is super cute. I don't know much about the story yet, but I've heard great things about Kate Leth. I'm just going to go ahead and give it a shot. And so that comes out on July 5th, 2016. That sounds, that sounds like something that I should read, too. You might like it. It looks really cute. It remind, mm. it, like, the art reminds me a lot, kind of, of Squirrel Girl. Mm. Erica Henderson's art. But, but it's, it's the same cartoony style. Sold. And this is cheating, I guess. But there was a book coming out this summer that I was really excited about. I talked about this book earlier this year because I was really excited about it. And apparently it's going to come out next year instead and it's going to come out as a YA book instead of an adult novel. It's Winter Song by S.J. Jones. It was coming out this year but now it's coming out in February of 2017 on February 7th by Thomas Dunn because the universe hates me. Mm. When I really, really, really look forward to a book, it always gets moved. Like I was super excited for Company Town by Madeline Ashby and it got moved and it got moved and it got moved. And then when I finally got my hands on an arc of it, my expectations were so high that I was afraid to read it. And then I was really excited about The Raven King, and then it got moved. Because it got moved, like, my expectations, again, went out of control. I'm afraid to read it. This is happening with Winter Song, and it's going to come out in February, and I'm probably not even going to be reading it until August of 2017. And those are the books that I'm looking forward to this summer. Well, some of them, obviously, we both have extremely, excessively long to be read lists for books releasing this summer that we can't include here because the episode would be three hours long. Mm -hmm. But that is a sampling of some of the stuff that we're looking forward to. One of the things that I absolutely love is really, really bad, so bad that they're great science fiction disaster movies. The one we're going to talk about today is The Core, which came out in 2003. Anna, do you want to summarize this movie for us? 
This movie is about how the core of the earth stops spinning and then a bunch of scientists need to go and jumpstart it, the planet. And they do that by using, by constructing a machine that takes them to the core of the earth. And they can only do that because some guy invented a new compound that's called unobtainium. If that's not the best name of something that's clearly made up and unobtainable, I don't know what is. This movie has two stars on Netflix. It's probably the best, worst movie that I have ever watched. Like, up there with Troll. Uh, this movie on my Netflix account has five stars. <laughs> you are joking. No, I love this movie. I don't even care. I love this movie. <laughs> All those people who gave it like bad scores, you just do not know what makes a terrible science fiction movie. You're all fired. This movie is great. Unobtainium. Un- Obtainium. It's great. Okay, it's great. It's like it's like. Do they understand what they do? Like this is just this self aware, right? They, yes, this movie has, is self aware. Yeah. It has to be. Like this is the most ridiculous. I don't understand how this got funded, but somebody was like, "Yeah, that sounds like a great movie." Oh my god! The best thing that happened was after I watched it, I went online to read about the science of this movie. Oh god! And there's this. There is this really long blog post by a dude that goes line by line or scene by scene in the movie the the science it's wrong there's no science in this film that doesn't exist it's just like it's amazing they go to like they they travel to the core of the earth and there is this like one scene they they get they, they stop because there are crystals somehow the crystals they can move the crystals even though they are huge and obviously very, very heavy. And then people die. A lot of people die. Like, basically everybody dies. Only two people survive. I oh, mean, at yeah. this point, we can just spoil the movie, right? It's, listen, it came out in 2003. If you haven't so, seen The Core okay. by now, I think you're probably not going to see it. It's just, Listen, if I could have seen this movie in the theater, I would have. But I, I, but I didn't. I, I didn't even realize that this was an actual movie. I had never heard of it until I got Netflix and I saw it. I was like, oh, this because me too. I have a weakness for terrible disaster movies. I just love watching them so much. And this one was delightful. It was so bad. It's like a space movie, but in the core of the Earth. As Beck says at the meeting of the crew of the ship, Virgil, which they call the ship. They're so self-aware of how ridiculous. She calls them Terranauts. She does. She's really great, actually. She's a great female character. It's the only one there. Well, there's, There's the lady in the team that stays behind and does nothing. She doesn't do nothing. She's their mission control person. Her name yeah. is her name is Stickley. She's played by Alfre Woodard. She's amazing. <laughs> I love a, the actress so there, much. She was in The Shield, and I I love The Shield. There is a line where she's like, "All this brain power is starting to smell like burning batteries." <laughs> Just like <laughs> one of the reasons that I love this movie so much isn't the science. It isn't the ridiculous premise of going to the center of the earth. It's the characters and how they interact with each other. I'm a very character focused consumer of media and all the characters here are just so great and well drawn and it's just a shame that they're in such a shitty movie because they're so good so have you shipped the two dudes the two scientists 
Listen, I watched this movie and I wrote so much <laughs> Zimsky and Braz. Uh, I knew it. Slash. I knew it. Oh my God. That, that scene, they started to talk to each other. And then in the end, they are like, one of them is going down. And he says, if I could have done this, I would have done it with you. And they shake hands and it's beautiful. And I might have cried a little bit. Yes, I did. I wrote a lot of fic about them. It's just thankfully lost to the bowels of the internet. And it's so hilarious, the, the computers as well, the technology. This movie came out in 2003. This movie was written by a bunch of white dudes who didn't understand how the internet worked. It is oh so God. fascinating to see how little they understood how the internet worked. Of course, in 2003, we didn't have like Twitter yet. We didn't have this like fast-paced social media that could tell you everything as soon as it happened. Imagine at the very beginning of the movie where you get all those people who collapsed because there was electromagnetic interference and they all had pacemakers, so they all dropped dead. Who cares about the science and the accuracy of that? It happened. <laughs> in the age of Twitter, that it would have never just been brushed over. As soon as it happened, Twitter would have like exploded. Tweet to Facebook, everything, and right? Ever all these events that happened in this movie where these are they're disasters and you're seeing these news reports it's just not how our world works anymore on a internet level and a way the way that information moves across the world this movie just does not work and i don't even think this movie would have worked back in 2003 because the internet just doesn't work like that i don't think no. because they said they get this character who's supposed to be really good with computers he's played by G dj qualls who I actually really like in this movie. I really like him. He's just this total nerd kid who's super smart. They set him up with all these unlimited Hot Pockets and Xenotapes. Good choice. And they give him control of the internet so he can delete keywords based on, like, settings that he provides. And that just... It's not how it works. It's just so ridiculous. It's amazing. It's wonderful. I really liked him. I really liked uh, Aaron Eckhart, who plays Dr. Joss Keys. We meet him and he's teaching students and he's obviously like super smart and he could go into a field that would be better suited for his massive intelligence. But no, he's teaching kids. I like that the movie really presses home the fact that he finds teaching so important. I really liked that part. Exactly. Yeah. He's a teacher and he loves to teach and he loves to teach people who are going to go on and change the world. Then you have Sarish, who is... Josh's friend, and he's got a family, and he, he was just a very sad character. He dies horribly. Horribly. It's so sad to Seth, too. And he's, he was doing everything for the three people, his wife and daughters. And then you had Conrad Zemsky, played by Stanley Tucci. He was wonderful. I love Stanley Tucci. So everything. good. He is this super arrogant scientist who steals people's work and takes credit for it, and he's one of the people who caused the core to stop working because they created this energy weapon. Oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> Like, what? I don't even understand what this energy Des weapon is for. Destiny. So because they were firing this energy weapon, they stopped the core. And I think it's really funny that he dies. Because <laughs> I'm like, if you had come back, you would have been, like, prosecuted. You would have been in jail the rest of your yeah. life. <laughs> so you're, it's probably a good thing that you died. Whilst being very heroic and still recording yeah, his, his diary. Oh, his recorder. Like, I like, he's like, what the fuck am I doing? He tosses it away. So my favorite yeah. two characters in this film are Dr. Brazelton, they call him Brass, he's played by Delroy Lindo, and Rebecca Childs Beck, who's played by Hilary Swank. I think that it's great that they get to be like super, super smart. I am sad that they killed Braz. I like I really wish he 
he could have mm-hmm. lived. But at least he was not the first person who died. It's true. Like he right? was, he was a black guy on the ship. He was not the first person to die. So I oh, guess we can success. The two characters that do survive, Beck and Josh, they I like that they get to be smart and clever and they don't fuck. No, right? In the end they don't even kiss. Kind of like really reminded me of Pacific Rim. Right. That way. Because that's how it ends. The ends with them, like maybe something will happen between them. Who cares? But that's not what the story tells you right on screen. It just shows them as allies and friends who just survived something that was terrible. It's great. I was as equals. Which exactly, was which is a, probably a big reason that I liked this movie when I was younger because yeah. I was just so sick of really terrible romances. This combined like science fiction and ridiculous science and great characters in an excellent package that didn't have romance that was done terribly. I was so excited. And the woman had an arc and it was about being a leader and making hard decisions because she was so smart and she was not used to making having to make any decisions because... You know, everything worked so well for her. But of course, in a expedition like this one, things tend to, to go really, really badly. And there is one moment in particular where she has to make a really difficult choice and she makes it. Everybody's yelling at her. and She's like, listen, this is what I had to do so that we can all go home. Yeah, I've liked that she addressed the fact when Serge dies, she is driving and she hits a diamond apparently diamonds and the ship that can handle like thousands of pounds of pressure and heat can't handle diamonds <laughs> and so it destroys one of the compartments that they're in and here's what got me about this part of the movie because i'd forgotten she's dodging all these diamonds and she tells them over the comms hey i'm dodging diamonds inside of cape cod up here you know strap in or something and they just like laugh at her these dudes working on these weapons just laugh at her. Then one of them, because they weren't paying attention or taking her seriously, dies. The other two are, like, scarred because they watched this dude die. And then they yell at her. And then she's like, well, listen, I killed him twice. Once by hitting the diamond, then once by making the call. What we see here is a bunch of men not listening to a woman who is commanding them. And they pay the price for it. Yeah. The narrative doesn't side with the men who yell at her, right? Nope. The narrative sides with her. Yes. And I really thought that was important. Yeah, so in many ways, this is a much cleverer movie than many of the movies that we've been getting lately. So maybe it's not that bad. No, it's bad. It's bad. The science is really bad. But the characters are and their relationships and how they interact with each other is great. I really love the characters in this movie. That's what what keeps me coming back and rewatching this movie. Like, I rewatch this movie a lot. Did you notice at one stage there was a message on a computer screen that says something's on its way and it was it apostrophe S? So the movie doesn't even get English right. (laughs) Did you notice that? I didn't take a screenshot. I should have. But that happened. I even wrote it down on its way. They don't even have correct signs. You think they're going to correct their grammar too? <laughs> Anna. At, at the very least, Renee. Listen, their budget was $85 million. Do you think they were going to add another $3 million to do grammar checks? No. <sighs> I guess. I do want to mention before we end. Okay. At the very beginning of the movie, as they're going into the earth, they meet some whales that are singing to them through the ultrasonics of their ship. At the very end, the way that Josh and Beck get found is that they use ultrasonics to make the whales sing. And that's how (laughs) the US government and the military find them. 
It's the whales! Listen, it's so good. I love this movie. Okay, uh, so how many space feeds would you give this movie? Oh my god. Based on what? Based on your enjoyment of the movie. That's what. Five space bees. Yes, I would also <laughs> give this movie five space bees. And that says everything about my taste in movies. I love this, this stupid is so movie. Because we, we just gave four space bees to monstrous. And we are giving five space bees to the core. This is How the, is that fair? That's, this is a sarcastic space bee. The sarcastic space bees are drunk. Ah, okay. So that's that's a different level. That's okay then. The drunk space bees. Five drunk space bees. The way the okay. way we suggest you watch this movie <laughs> for maximum enjoyment. Because unobtainium. Destiny meet world. World meet destiny. it's time for recommendations. Anna, what are you recommending this week? So I mentioned Marjorie Liu's uber fantasy novels. I wanted to recommend them. Uh, there are two series, main series that she writes. One is the Dirk and Steel um, detective books. The first one in that series is Tiger Eye. I didn't like that one very much, mostly because there is a scene in which a woman gives a tiger a bull job. But I would recommend maybe then starting with book four. There is it, It's not a continuous series. They are just like independent books there. So book four is The Wild Road, the one with the gargoyle re- hero. It's such a beautiful book. I, I really liked that one. The other series that she has is one that starts with The Iron Hunt. And it's also extremely, extremely well written. And that one is more urban fantasy and not as much romance as the other books are. Whichever rocks your boat more. Go back. Yes. Somebody gives a tiger a blowjob. Right, okay, so it's a shapeshifter, and the guy turns into a tiger, and there is a point when they are having sex, and he shapes, ships back into a tiger, and they continue having sex like that. Now, what you say? This is weird. Alrighty then, so that's Anna's wreck. <laughs> Congratulations, everybody. Enjoy adding that to your TBR list. I mean, it's, re- it's really a really good book other than that. What about you, Renee? What's your recommendation? Nothing involving blowjobs, I hope. No. Instead, I'm going to recommend a restaurant that I go to almost every day. Panera. It's great. It is a sandwich and soup and salad place. It has free Wi-Fi. You can sit there and goof around on Twitter for hours and they say nothing. Is that where you go to work? Yeah, that's where I go and I work. On my writing and podcasting and all the other stuff that I do. I also read there. It's really nice. They have great broccoli cheddar soup. Although you wouldn't eat that because... Cheddar. Yeah. Mm. They also have boring stuff for people who don't like delicious stuff. (laughs) I was going to have a comeback that involved tigers and blowjobs, but maybe not. Miss me with that, Anna. Miss me. Well, delicious things, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's over. Goodbye. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
we've completed another episode. Go us. We are great. Anna, thank you so much for being my co-host. I could not do this without you. Oh, that's so nice. But it really is all down to you being an awesome producer. I'm going to get a big ego. Because you are. You know what you are. A goddamn treasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our music this week is by Broke for Free and Chuki. You can find links to their work in our show notes. Our brilliant art was created by Ira. If you want to commission Ira for some cool art of your own, you can do so by visiting their Tumblr at justira.tumblr.com. Their commission page is linked at the top of their blog. If you like the show, we would really appreciate you dropping by iTunes and leaving a review if you love the show. If you need more of us between episodes, you can follow our awesome antics by catching us on Twitter at Fangirl Podcast. You can also find me yelling about superheroes and other things on Twitter at Renee. And I'm on Twitter at Booksmugglers. Not yelling about superheroes. Mm, most of the time. And as always, guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode. Bye! Bye! Oh, my kitty, you're so sweet, but you're in my face. <laughs>